Hey ho, tutor-minded people. I'm Gage. I'm Jessica. We're Tutor Time Machine, and this is the first episode of our new podcast. If you're a member of our Tutor Time Machine Facebook community, you already know that we love all things Tutor and are particularly interested in the quirky details. We're working on a story project, and we're super excited to share it with you. It's a secret history of the Elizabethan court set in 1565. Everyone thinks they know the truth of Anne Boleyn and Elizabeth, but we're going to tell you the story of who we think were important players. Some of the people we follow are considered major players in history, and some are perhaps wrongly forgotten. The story opens in 1565. Elizabeth is an unmarried queen, and the women attending her have much more influence than in any of the other Tudor courts. I mean, there's not a queen's household and a king's household, but only one household, Elizabeth's household, and all the focus is on Elizabeth and her women. We didn't want to tell the story from Elizabeth's point of view. She's sort of the sun, and everyone is moving around her. The central characters are all based on real people from the court. Elizabeth has only been queen for eight years, so we're still at the beginning of her reign. Jesse will read the first section to you, and then we'll all take a dive into the history. So, tutor-minded people, here we go. Time's Riddle. Chapter 1. 1565. Bedford House, London. In which the visiting Swedish princess gets her way. Bidding adieu to her native court of Sweden, she, the princess Cecilia Gustava Vasa, an adventurer no less than Vasco da Gama or Magellan, followed her own wild spirit to see the English Isle, parting icy seas, traversing hostile territories, rallying the spirits of her attendants, and enduring quite a bit of stomach upset to set her feet upon the ground. What a triumph! How the court of London welcomed her! Indeed, she admitted to herself, it was not only the court and the adventure that brought her, but the delicious curiosity to see the young monarch Elizabeth Tudor. Queen Elizabeth was Diana, and she herself, Venus. Together they produced a frenzy in all who bore witness to their perfection. Such companionship quenched a thirst in Cecilia. And yet today she wandered this house. True, it was elegant, spacious, lent her by an English peer. What did the house matter if there were no one coming to pay homage? Peevishness rose inside her. She was stranded, alone. Who was here with her? No one. Only her own Swedish ladies, maids, grooms, cooks, her baby. Such isolation. A page at the door. What relief. Sir Robert Dudley, Earl of Leicester, begged admittance. Brigitte, Cecilia ordered, to the nursery with my babe and his tears. Christina's. Her ladies-in-waiting jumped from the floor where they played piquet. One Christina claimed a nickel harper and began a folk song. The other draped herself with the heraldic banner of the Vasa family. Posing between them, Cecilia assumed her favorite regal expression. Eyes focused far. Profound in contemplation, lips parted, vulnerable to deep emotion. This posture unsettled the most virtuous of men. Sir Robert Dudley would have to rein in his desire when he laid his eye upon her royal form. Who knew what her appeal might bring? As he escorted her to court, he would struggle, commanding himself admirably, concentrating hard on the value of the Queen's favour. But if he and Cecilia herself were to arrive to find the queen absent, what then? The temptation, no doubt, would be too great. With a rumble, Dudley would order the throne room emptied and toss Cecilia herself on that noble chair. She would sit in Elizabeth Tudor's throne. She would wear Elizabeth Tudor's dress, the one with the shells. And Sir Robert Dudley would tear it off cracking the delicate ornaments. He would hail Cecilia as monarch and majesty, and golden coins would run through his fingers onto her skin. 
Gracious princess, interrupted her reverie. There was Dudley in the flesh. His eye was keen and blue. His leg, such a calf. Dear heaven, Cecilia hoped it was not padding. Men were stuffing everything these days. Surely not. He must be the Tudor queen's favorite for a reason. Cecilia's eyes went to his shoulder, and there behind him she saw the form of tiresome reality. Lady Mildred Cecil and that old Bart, William Parr, Marquis of Northampton. Gracious princess, on behalf of Her Royal Highness, we bring gifts for your comfort, Sir Robert crooned. Gifts sounded promising, Cecilia thought, as she swanned into a recline, enjoying the wonder of her derriere as its mere touch transformed chair to throne. Pages scurried and kneeled before her, unrolling an enormous tapestry, the labours of Hercules. The demigod was well-muscled, and the hanging lined. But a closer inspection bought something so alarming, tears of disappointment sprang to Cecilia's eyes. On Juno's voluptuous thigh, an ugly mass of black thread. This tapestry had been darned. Even more upsetting, the bed curtains, long indeed, but a cheap russet. Elizabeth Tudor was thrifty, but Cecilia had not imagined this penny-pinching would extend to her. Was she not the flower of the Vasa? And had not Elizabeth drawn a large loan from Swedish coffers? These gifts must be sent away. Yet another thought, one that allowed her to be gracious, to receive these unworthy offerings. Cecilia could not hurt the English queen, who had not the refinement to know that sparing expense lent misery to gift-giving. Cecilia would show generosity. Thank you, my lord, Cecilia said. This largesse will warm my servants' rooms. I trust you have other goods to suit me. All three of her visitors smiled. Cecilia noted Dudley had the best teeth. Your grace, he began, the queen has sent you the very finest she has. He looked at Cecilia under slightly lowered lids. She thrilled to the flirt, but Mildred Cecil's annoyance was plain. Princess, Mildred hailed her. Did I not see your grace's husband, the Margrave, riding in from the hunt? Sir Robert, you must greet the Margrave. And you as well, my lord Northampton. Do you not think they should greet the Margrave, princess? Cecilia did not want to send the men off, to be trapped with this too serious Mildred. Yet her husband must be honoured. Woefully she bid the men away. Dudley stole a glance as he retreated. Cecilia understood. Who would not want a last look at her well-defined cheekbones, at her smooth brow? My dear princess, Lady Mildred said, you are a woman of refinement. I bear you endless respect. I tell you true, the Queen has sent these things to you and you alone, not to your servants or any other. Jewels around her neck, her sleeves a firmament of pearls. Mildred Cecil was a sartorial success, but not the type of company Cecilia relished. Mildred's satisfaction with her husband, the singularly unarousing Sir William Cecil, her dogged advancement of that humorless sister of hers, the Lady Anne Bacon, say the name to Lord Apris, and Mildred's own appalling desire to avoid gossip, convinced Cecilia that this woman was far too devoted to equanimity and good sense. In addition, she was pointy, with her angle elbows and little sharp chin. Lady Mildred, why such unworthy gifts? The Queen bears me love, as you have seen during my weeks here. She used her official voice. No one dared question it. Mildred did not coo or soften. Her head was high and her hands neatly clasped at her waist. This Mildred had been the one sent by the Queen to receive Cecilia on her arrival in London. It was she who had assembled this house, arranging for servants and goods. 
Cecilia had considered her then as she was now, a frolic frump. Her Majesty loves you, Princess, Mildred said. Loves you with the depth of a queen. And she believes these offerings will keep you warm. The length of the bed curtains will allow no cruel breeze or shaft of light to ruin your slumber. The very large hanging will warm the cold stone of the room and with a fire make it snug. Her grace chose these things, thinking only of the comfort of yourself, her fair-haired sister and friend. Cecilia felt her tongue curl with a cruel jest, but stopped it with her teeth. Only an odd hiss squeezed between her lips. You well know, Lady Mildred, that the tapestry which was here before was far finer than this one. Tis so, my lady, and yet it came to an unfortunate end. Such a pronouncement, Cecilia thought, for what had been a lusty device, fancy dress to pass a rainy afternoon. To masquerade as Cleopatra had been an inspired choice for Cecilia. A diadem in her hair, a loose tunic wrapped around her milk-bathed body, her servants trundling her up in the tapestry so she could roll herself out dramatically, Egyptian queen to her husband's excited Caesar. But how terrifying it had been when she had become tangled, stuck in the heavy fabric, unable to breathe. It was heroic of my dear Baden-Baden to slash the tapestry, Cecilia insisted. The queen cannot blame my husband for saving my life. To be sure, to be sure, Mildred said. But her majesty has few wall hangings to spare for such games. This one will have to warm you, dear princess. Cecilia ran her hand along the darned fabric. This feeble gift was perhaps the best England's monarch could do. She felt a small lament form inside her, a whisper that she might have been slighted. But she pushed it away. Self-doubt was tedious. My Lady Mildred, we will choose a noble spot for the demigod. The frozen garden beckoned, a shortcut to her chambers. Cecilia stepped out into the glorious winter. Was that the sound of servants with chattering teeth behind her? By heaven, what a wind! Princess, your cloak. Oh, there's snow in my shoes. Cecilia smiled to herself. Others might fuss with hats and mufflers before addressing the freezing air and the falling snow, but not Sweden's princess. What was that that caught her eye? There, beside the statue of Apollo, a fur coat hanging long off a bush. With Cecilia's word, a page grasped the robe to pull it, but it held fast. The boy began wrestling with it, and during the fray, two manly legs appeared. Boots, whooped Cecilia. Come out, mysterious intruder, and show your face, though it may be red. A hand darted out from under the robe, pulled the fur back over the boots, and darted back. Oh, we must uncover the scoundrel. Help me, Lady Mildred. Cecilia shooed away the page, and together with Mildred, grabbed the bottom edge of the cloak and threw it up over the bush. There, her lady-in-waiting, Elan Snakenborg, her gown in disarray, her bodice untied. This was not the time and place for such sport. And revolting, the Marquis of Northampton dressed, but pressing provocatively against the girl. I protect a lady, the Marquis yelled. She fell in the snow. I, I came to her aid. Sir, you shame yourself, Mildred admonished. White rage blinded Cecilia. She had paid, she did not know exactly how much, but a great amount for a dutiful lady-in-waiting, not for a good-for-nothing sneak, found under a fur robe with an old English dog. 
Elan, insolent, space-wasting chit. How dare you? Did your mother not beg me to take you into my service? Did she not push you on me? Did she not swear that you would be an honour to me? And now you repay me by being a lazy, man-chasing disgrace. Out of my sight. As Elan fled, Cecilia fumed at the ungrateful girl's crocodile tears. You will not stop her she commanded the Marquis. The jade is but fifteen and has not my leave for such garden grasping. Northampton smoothed his greying hair, straightened his doublet, and marshalled his voice, letting it roll out smooth. Princess, you in your wisdom understand love. How dare you, sir? Cecilia cut him off. How dare you come to steal my lady? disrespectful weasel the mere sight of you makes me want to wretch pelt him pelt him i say always at her command the swedish servants quickly armed themselves cecilia gloated as a snowball hit the marquis in the face followed by another in the ear but he amused her by standing fast thrusting out his chest for a little panache let me speak dear princess he begged as splattered snow cunningly wedged between his breeches and codpiece I humbly beg your pardon. Cease fire, Cecilia commanded. Now, sir, remove yourself from my house, she paraded by him. Sweet lady, you know my greatest wish is to take Mistress Elan for my wife. Enough of this matter, sir, interjected Mildred. I should not have brought you. Cecilia was pleased to have Mildred on her side, but when one is so entirely in the right, even those with pointy elbows must acknowledge it. Cecilia would show herself a true Vasa and come down hard on this knave. So very wrong, my lord, so very, very wrong. You deserve nothing. You will never see Mistress Elan again. I beg you, great one, whose beauty rivals that of Venus herself. We cannot choose where Cupid's dart may fall. Give your gracious permission. Let me attend Mistress Elan. Teach her the ways of a noble English lady. Mould her into one that I shall be proud to call my wife. My lord, Elan swore to serve me, and serve me she shall. She should be about her duties to me at all times. I demand nothing less. It made Cecilia want to sigh this business. Inside again, she was pleased not to have to doff her coat. She needed refreshment and a change of conversation. Bring stools and some wine, she beckoned to a page and turned to Lady Mildred. Madam, I know you love languages. Do you and my Lord William Cecil talk Greek in bed? Or do you find Hebrew more exciting? Cecilia felt the hot breath of a dog on her. No, it was the Marquis, still making a fuss. My dear princess... If I provided a replacement for Mistress Elan, a replacement to serve your highness? My retinue comes from the most noble houses in Sweden. Sir, you grossly suggest I take a common Englishwoman into my service? Never. I would perish rather than make such a suggestion. But might I offer, dare to suggest, that one of the Queen's women might please you? I need not tell you they are the highest ladies in the land. Her grace would send only the most refined to serve her Swedish guest of honour. A person who served the Queen of England? In her own household? It would be a thrill. But Cecilia hid her enthusiasm in a neutral tone. One of the Queen's women? My lord, this is a foolish road to offer such a thing without Her Majesty's permission, Lady Mildred objected. 
If you could lend your assistance to the stratagem, dear Lady Mildred, I am certain Her Majesty would agree, Northampton urged. I feel a prick of interest, Cecilia said. Who is she you think of, my lord? Lady Dorothy Stafford. I have known her for years. Stafford, Lady Mildred, would this lady suit me? Princess, this is Bedlam. The Marquis has known the lady for years because she is much favoured by Her Majesty. She is mistress of the robes to the Queen and cannot be spared. Let us talk of something else. I now find I strongly desire an English lady. I have it, Northampton exclaimed. I am acquainted with one who is now in the service of Her Majesty, previously a maid of honour to my late wife, the Lady Marquess of Northampton. She is called Constance Stoner by name. Lady Mildred, do you know this person? Cecilia asked. She is not worth noting, madam. Oh, come, come. Do not be penurious, Cecilia insisted. Tell me of this girl. Pursing her lips at the Marquis, Mildred clipped a description. Her family, as Catholics, were in great favour under Queen Mary, but in the eight years of our Queen Elizabeth's reign, they rarely come to court. Not so. The lovely, bright, graceful, laughing girl served my poor wife, the Lady Marquis of Northampton, well, and drew the attention of the Queen's great favourite, Lady Elizabeth Clinton. I am sure she has renounced her family's wrong-headed religion, said the Marquis. My lord, she is a dark, distracted bit of Eve. Pretty, I give you, but holding on to her Catholic ways, I doubt not. My lord Marquis, you cry her virtues like a dishonest street vendor, Mildred chided. Cecilia was so amused when others fought on her behalf, the Marquis with his false grin and Mildred with her drawn brows. How amusing if they would strike each other in anger and then, overcome by the emotional fervour, roll to the ground in a sudden rush of lust. Yet that Mildred would never let herself be carried away, poor thing. This Stoner girl was in Elizabeth Tudor's retinue. What cared Cecilia for religion, for Catholic or Protestant? God was God, and Cecilia herself was princess. God had sense. When can this wonderful maid come? Lady Mildred, you are charged to arrange my house. Can you not bring her to me? Of course I wish your happiness, my lady. But I cannot make such wild promises without Her Majesty's consent. Oh, I am so unhappy. Your queen calls me sister, but would deny the little I ask for. Dear Lady Mildred... Northampton piled on and clutched Mildred's arm. Be kind to the cause of love. Mildred sighed, looked severe, but agreed to take up the matter with the Queen. It was commitment enough. Cecilia turned off the waterworks. Excellent, excellent, the Marquis beamed. Gracious princess, I have a ring here on my little finger, a ruby which I feel sure would shine more brightly on your hand than mine. It dropped into Cecilia's palm. She thought it looked a perfect little flame. How giving improves my spirit, Northampton exclaimed. Lady Mildred, in my late wife's library, there is a book which I have often thought she would have wanted bequeathed to you. What is the volume? Lady Mildred inquired. L'art poétique, the Horace or the Aristotle? The Marquis made an almost charming one-sided dimple at Mildred's question. You do not know the difference, do you, Marquis? Cecilia chided and shared a titter with Mildred. Well, well, does it matter, dear Lady Mildred, Horace or Aristotle? 
Would you not be happy with either? Cecilia smiled on the room, full of gratitude to herself for once again having brought a cord to dear friends. Cecilia Vassa. I love that wanton woman. Yeah, we came across her in Elizabeth State Papers. The Swedish princess, only 25 and just really into the idea of the young Queen Elizabeth Tudor. Yes, she was a fangirl. Her dream was to go to England. She even learned the language. You know, it's funny how the 16th century Cecilia fits into the stereotype of the sexy Swedish blonde, and we still have that same stereotype today. And the way she ended up coming to England is, it's pretty wild. Her sister was getting married, and after the wedding, Cecilia traveled with her sister, her new husband, and his brother. And you know what happens with bridesmaids. Oh my God, yep. Cecilia hooked up with the groom's brother. (laughs) And the poor guy was caught in her bedroom, and it was recorded for history. That's how we know about it. And to quote our source material, he was naked from the waist down. Yikes. And it was a big scandal. And it hurt Cecilia on the royal marriage market. Yes, and it really upset her father and her brothers, too. And she ended up marrying the Margrave of Baden-Baden. Stepped down for her in rank, but he did promise to take her to England. And that was the most important thing. She was so obsessed. And it was a tough trip. It took her over a year to get from Sweden to England. Right, and she was traveling with a large entourage. Her ladies, her servants, her secretary... Oh, and her husband, of course. (laughs) (laughs) And they had to go an incredibly long way round to avoid the European wars that were in their way. And then when they finally got to London, there were rumors that the true purpose of this trip was so that Cecilia could play matchmaker between Elizabeth and her brother, Eric of Sweden. Elizabeth was the hottest commodity on the marriage market in Europe at this time. And of course, everyone thought she would get married. Well, it would be inconceivable that she wouldn't. I mean, that's what a queen did. And Sweden was a big country, important country, a rich country, and Eric would actually have been a pretty good match. But other folks said that Cecilia was in England to spy. It's Of course, it's really hard for us to know exactly what inspired Cecilia to make this really long journey to England, but we are so looking forward to telling you more about this incredible, wild iconoclast as the story continues. Well, now one of my favorites, who is Mildred Cecil. Oh, Mildred Cecil. She was married to Sir William Cecil, England's right-hand man. So Mildred wasn't technically a courtier, but because of William Cecil's incredibly important position, she herself was an important figure and and a formidable woman in her own right. One of the most educated women in England. Mm -hmm. And there's not one full-length biography of her. And she burned all her papers just before she died. And that that makes me sad. Yeah. I wonder why she did that. And I really wish there was more out there about her. But we do know that even in her own time, she was famous for her love of books and her great mind. Mm -hmm. But she was a player at the court of Elizabeth, and she did, in fact, set up housekeeping for Cecilia. And we know that from a correspondence between Guzman de Silva, the Spanish ambassador, and King Philip. Yes, an incredible correspondence that's going to be really important as the story continues. Great, great source material. But in this first chapter of the book, Mildred is in a tough position. She has a difficult guest. She has to rein in the royal Cecilia without insulting or overstepping. Cecilia is the kind of guest that would be banned from Airbnb. A hundred percent. Mildred's trying to handle the situation diplomatically for her husband's boss, who is... The Queen of England. Indeed. We had such a good time imagining all these people. Yes, but it was hard, too. 
Well, we really wanted to stay within the historical reality of their worldview and and references and what they were thinking about and how they would handle situations. Yes, because now if Cecilia received a gift that she didn't like, she would just return it or, you know, perhaps ask for a gift card. But that was certainly not a possibility when she was receiving a gift from the Queen, the of, Queen of England. No, and there were no Amazon returns that you could do anonymously overnight. And then we have William Parr, Marquis of Northampton, who was the brother of Catherine Parr, Henry VIII's sixth wife, because everyone was related in Tudor court. And the Marquis is very high up. It goes King, Queen, Prince, Princess, Duke, Duchess, Marquis, Marchioness. William Parr is 51 years old. He's a widower. And not to be stereotypical, <laughs> but he behaves as many men do now. He immediately wanted to get remarried. And he fell for a girl less than half his age. I mean, way, way less than half his age. Elin was only 15. I mean, now, of course, we consider that gross. But in 1565, it was acceptable. Anyway, Elin is a real person who accompanied Cecilia from Sweden as a maid of honor. And William Parr fell for her. I mean, Elin is away from home for the first time. She's traveling with a pretty liberal chaperone, the Cecilia Princess of Sweden. And she's being pursued by a very rich and a very powerful older man. I mean, her, her head was turned. Yes, of course. So that's all we have time for today. So if you have any questions or comments, go on over to our Facebook page. Tudor Time Machine. Tudor Time Machine. <laughs> and we've also posted some additional information about each of the Tudor personalities we introduced today. So listen next time for more Times Riddle and more of our Tudor Talk. Tudor Talk. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye for now.